Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's episode where we are talking all about the finale of Obi Wan Kenobi. We are coming to you with collectively not a lot of sleep between us. <laughs> <laughs> We some, stayed up. Some we, more than others, some less than others. Yeah. I don't even actually know how it all shook out. All I know is I was up at 2.30 this morning. I watched it twice before 5 a.m. So. <laughs> <laughs> we should take a moment to recognize that, that is so unlike you. Yeah. You've never done that before with Star Wars series, right? Like this is your first time staying up really late or waking up and watching it in the middle of the night, basically. Isn't it an interesting experience? It's a very interesting experience. It's certainly made for a very long work day, but (laughs) 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 it was fun. We have, um, we know a lot of, I feel like everyone was staying up for this episode and we have like a group chat and we all basically made a blood pact to uh, get up at (laughs) 2.30 to press play uh, because it actually drops at like 2.50 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's not right at 3 a.m. But man, these East Coast hours, they they do be hurting. Um, It's it's a little rough. But yeah, I couldn't fall asleep the night beforehand uh, because originally I was going to get up at like 4.30. Usually I'm like a 6, 6.30 person with the uh, during like the work week with like new Star Wars episodes, but I was like, I'll do 4.30 for this. And then I got bullied into getting up at 2.30 and I was like... We were all like, 4.30, okay. we're going to be going to bed then okay. because after the episode, okay. like it just felt, it was it was just like you arbitrary. It felt to, arbitrary. didn't go to bed at 4.30? Me. I tr- yeah. Not me. Yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but you know who did? Me. Well, I, <laughs> so. I was awake. I was wired. <laughs> I was... The last time I transcribed an episode like this, it was Clone Wars Season 7, The Phantom Apprentice. I feel like that was the last time I basically transcribed a whole Star Wars TV show into our Google Docs. And so I was doing that at 4.30 this morning. And then I I crashed pretty hard at like (laughs) (laughs) 7.30. And then slept for like, I don't know, 45 minutes, an hour or something, and then had to go to work. (laughs) (laughs) But we're here. We're here. And I'm so excited. This episode was so great. First off, I just want to reflect on the fact that, yes, this episode was amazing. I give it a 10 out of 10, truly. Like, I feel like it was a perfect episode of Star Wars, in my opinion. It really hit on basically every level for me. It hit at 3 a.m. or 2.50 when we were watching it. I... I don't know. It's It really is like a spiritual experience when it's dark out and there's literally no one awake, yeah. especially when you live in a city and like you look outside and there's only a couple of lights on and things like that. It's just, I don't know. It sort of makes for a magical experience, especially because so many of our friends were awake too. It was like a big sleepover. It felt like of watching Star Wars together, even though we were all not in the same place. And I think that this episode was so emotional for me. It's going to be like, a challenge, I think, to get to this episode without like shedding at least one tear <laughs> because I just feel like this episode, again, really hit on everything I love about Star Wars and I felt so validated as a prequels fan, as a Star Wars fan, as someone who's kept up with the animation and the other television show. I don't know. It's just like it felt so good. 
it felt like thematic storytelling. It felt like Deborah Chow really got it. It felt like the two writers or three writers who worked on this episode really understood it. I felt the pacing was really good. Just really hit on every level. When I was rewatching it tonight, I, I I don't know. I just got this sense that this is really something that I'm going to remember forever in this moment of – like there are a couple moments, right? Like Caitlin – remembers the parts of how excited we were for during Siege of of Mandalore with the Clone Wars. I think we all remember watching Twilight of the Apprentice. We remember uh, where we were when Mortis happened. Like all these things, we always remember where we were. And with Star Wars TV and also Star Wars movies, obviously, but this was one of those ones that just feels really special. And it's just like a culminating point of this period of time that just has felt so special. Like we started watching the series with so many other fans at Star Wars Celebration. We chatted about it in the Hilton bar afterwards. We were like glowing that day. We got, we've, I don't know. It just, everything about this feels so special. And this episode ending, this finale really capped it off as like, wow, what a really special five weeks for being a Star Wars fan. Yeah, it's kind of all felt like a fever dream, honestly, the whole series <laughs> in a lot of ways, yeah, especially like yeah. the the first two episodes, watching them at Celebration, and then this one watching it in the middle of the night and everything that happened in the episode. It just, yeah, it feels like this blazing fever dream of Star Wars <laughs> and so many of the things that I love about Star Wars in this episode. And to me, it kind of has this elusive Star Wars feeling on steroids in a lot of ways. And I think we'll talk about this later in the episode. But to me, this episode, like when Charlotte and I say Star Wars is tragedy, this episode and everything that it entails is kind of what we mean when we say Star Wars is tragedy. And I think we'll talk about that later in the episode. But we don't just mean like sad. There's there's a difference. It's, it's layered. And I think that this episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi kind of touched on all of those feelings that are inherent in all of Star Wars. All right. Why don't we start right in the beginning where the episode opens with Reva tracking Luke to Tatooine? And I just think that this whole sequence and this entire experience of Reva going solo to find Luke is so interesting. And maybe we should start here and focus on Reva a little bit. First off, I am so happy with the way that the story with Riva shook out and how it developed. I could not be happier for this redemption arc, for this just in general, like a really solid character arc, for uh, the complications, the reflections of Vader within her and how she overcomes that overcoming her own trauma. I feel like it was done so well. This episode was great and really made me, I I loved Reva as a character, but this episode made me be like, I need more Reva stories. What happens after this? And I think that uh, the writers and Deborah Chow really created a character here that was so interesting. I think if we could think a little bit about the creation of a character like Ahsoka as someone who uh, is a reflection of Anakin and kind of shows us more about Anakin and the Jedi. And a character like Reva actually is a reflection of Anakin's, his own deeds, his dark deeds, right? And how that affects a person, not just Obi-Wan, but someone who was a child growing into an adult and how they overcome something like that. Do they become, when, when you witness something like that and then you spend your entire life on a revenge arc, do you 
fall to the dark side and also follow those mistakes. That's a story that's also worth telling. Or do you take that part of your life and you move forward with, how does Obi-Wan even describe it at the very end when we see Reva later? Obi-Wan basically talks her through the fact that she showed Luke mercy and didn't kill Luke. I mean, that entire scene at the very end was so emotional. And just the fact that Obi-Wan lingers back helps her by hand when she's getting up and accepts her and says that they are both free. I think that as someone who is trying, I mean, Reva is someone who is so impacted by her childhood trauma that she is acting out in all of these different ways to try to overcome it. But ultimately, mercy is what she needed to do in order to overcome that trauma. And I just think that this character, I mean, I brought up Ahsoka because I think that these two characters are both reflections of Anakin, right? And I I think that Reva here is an amazing example of someone who can live and with also with the knowledge of things that who Anakin is, who Vader is, uh, all of these pieces that we are like, no, this is so secret. And how does it all kind of impact the story and the theme overall? Um, I don't know. I just, I felt like even in the very beginning, like I know that's where we are right now, the very beginning where one of the first things we see with Reva is her <laughs> giving that guy that Obi-Wan who worked with, right, a piece of his mind. And we're, we in the very beginning of this episode are nervous about Reva finding out about Luke and what's going to happen next with Owen and Baru, right? But at the same time, as an audience, we're like, yeah, I want Reva to give this guy a little bit of like a beating because he was so (laughs) rude before in that, uh, crate dragon sushi bar. Right. (laughs) And I think that (laughs) right away, when we see her on Tatooine, we're both nervous about Owen and Luke and Baru, but we're also like, yeah, like that's exactly what you should have done, I guess. I don't know. As an audience member, I felt a little satisfied by that. And I also think it was a really interesting costume decision to have her in a cloak that really did remind me of Boba Fett in the book of Boba Fett when he became a, a Tuscan, you know, and it that's reflected later when Owen and Baru tell Luke that the Tuscans found them and are, you know, about to ravage their home and things like that. That's the story that they tell Luke to run, to make him run. I don't know, just there was such a full arc there and I'm just really happy about it. Yeah, I think it's interesting to bring up Ahsoka as kind of this like other, like Reva is kind of like a pseudo apprentice to Vader in I guess if we're like kind of drawing this parallel between Reva and Ahsoka, she is kind of like this other type of apprentice, like this other path that potentially Ahsoka could have gone on or just seeing someone who was, um, I mean, we don't know when Reva kind of joined the Inquisitors, but she's been on this path for revenge, like with Vader and taking these kinds of qualities from him. And it, it reminds me of Mortis when Ahsoka's vision says to Ahsoka, you know, if you remain his apprentice, you'll never live I think is what the vision says but yeah I think I was so pleased with her arc because if you really think about it in this episode Reva is the only one who's kind of her storyline is the only one that's kind of at stake here what happens next for her because we know what's coming next for literally every single character in this episode except for Reva so it's like as soon as she gets to Tatooine it kind of feels like there's two options for her. Either she dies or she makes a new choice because I think it would have been surprising to see her not find Luke to not have this confrontation with Owen. That's not, she's a smart 
character. You know what I mean? She's not just going to go to the wrong homestead or pick the wrong kid. Um, right, right. Right. Like that's that's not a good story. And that's not who Reva has been set up to be this whole series. And of course, they she had the meeting, the introduction with Owen at the very beginning of the series. So it makes sense to kind of bring her back here at the end and for her to make a different choice with Luke. And I loved that. I think we talked about this last week about that this was a very high possibility for what would happen with Reva's character, that she would have the opportunity to kill Luke and make a different choice. And I think I kind of always thought there might be that, that like Owen and Baru or Obi-Wan might be there at that moment, like trying to appeal to her and to her humanity and everything. But I think it was so great that in that moment she was by herself with Luke and it wasn't even Luke was unconscious. So it was, really just her making this this choice uh, to show mercy, to choose a different path, to not repeat what Anakin did. And I think that was really powerful. And I'm really glad that they had that. And for her to like bring Luke back to Owen and Baru the way she did, I was so happy. And I've said this a couple times, but I think this show has set up so many potential storylines in the future and for this time period. And Riva is certainly one of them. And that makes me really excited. And yeah, I think it's it's super cool that she is now someone else in the galaxy who knows who Anakin Vader really is. And maybe at this point she's put together who Luke is or maybe well, yeah, if she knows he's, his name is Luke Skywalker, I'm sure it wouldn't be that hard for her to find that out. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I just I was so pleased. And now we've that was like near the end of the episode. So <laughs> we've already jumped far ahead in the episode. But her whole conversation with with Obi-Wan at the end and her asking, have I become him was just so heartbreaking to me. And yeah, this was checkbox number one of parts that I cried in in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I was crying throughout, so it's not even, I can't even I, I count know, how many times right, I was crying. Right, right? But this is just the first time we've encountered a part that we're talking through now of where I cried. Well, Moses just did such an amazing job acting in this scene. In the last episode, I don't think I said this, but there are several moments where at at once, both Riva looked like a hunter and also a child. Moses, I think, just did a great job acting. And I think in this episode as well, episode six, she really brought it. <laughs> she really did. Yeah, no, she totally did. To kind of go from you know, like our first introduction to her in episode one as so um, – she – before Obi-Wan came out, the show, she described Reva as always on the offense. And I think that's exactly, that's like a great way to describe her character throughout this whole series, always on the offensive and uh, looking for the next opportunity to work out her greater plan here, which was ultimately with Vader. But yeah, to see it be a completely different interaction between uh, Obi-Wan and Reva now at the end of the series. I don't know. It was just, it was really well done and it makes me really excited for her character. And yeah, it just, it reminds me of Dave's conversation about Ahsoka all the time throughout the Clone Wars and Rebels of all these people thought she had to die. And turns out people are actually sad when characters die. 
cell. She didn't have to die. And I think I think a lot of us were expecting that that could be a possibility for Reba. So for them to not do that with her character, I think was so powerful. And also, sorry, I feel like I am not like explaining myself well, because again, like three hours of sleep <laughs> over the past like 24 hours. So you'll have to forgive me. But I think this comparison to, as you kind of were already talking about, Charlotte, between Anakin and Reva and like seeing like Anakin did that deed in Order 66 with the younglings. Mm-hmm. Reva didn't. And like there's this like drawing this line between them of things that even Reva couldn't do. And I don't know, like we don't know all of her story, right? We we know from Tala that four sensitive children have been killed before. It's very possible that Reba did do that. You know, we don't know that. But I think when we're looking at like these two together and everything that Vader and Obi-Wan talk about in this episode too, a very clear line is being drawn that like Vader, Anakin is, to put it, I can't think of another way to put it, but like digging his heels into the dark side as far as he can go. And Reva saw this opportunity or I don't even even know if she saw it as an opportunity, but just realized she couldn't be this person anymore. She couldn't go through with this dark deed. And so she didn't. And the release that must have felt like for her that I think Moses portrayed when she brings Luke back and is like on the ground talking to Obi-Wan about it. Absolutely. I think that for... Reva, it's amazing because we saw a character who began as someone who we saw as impulsive, correct? Like usually her instincts were pretty right, you know, to a character who the moment she stopped and thought and didn't go through with that impulsiveness that like you mentioned, uh, Moses talking about how Reva was um, always on the offense and always looking to basically make the next move. She never hesitated, right? Here, she hesitates for the first time that we've ever seen her hesitate before. And it makes all the difference for her. She goes from a character who, again, was impulsive to a character who at the very end is an embodiment of the hope that you're supposed to feel when you watch Star Wars, right? And I think that that's why this arc is so gratifying because we get that. We feel that hope. And if If your characters are leading by theme, like the choices that they do are leading by theme, this is where we should be. You know, this is exactly what we should end up with. And it just worked so well for me. I don't know. I I feel really strongly that this character was just such a great choice. And I know that there's been talks about how her ending was potentially changed and reshot. And I don't, I'm not really interested in discussing that at this point, we will discuss that in the future, I'm guessing. But I think that the choices that they made to get to this point, like to me, this episode of Star Wars is perfect. And this type of um, reflection I think is exactly what I wanted to see in other Star Wars mediums where this outcome doesn't happen. I am just so happy that we got this with this character. I feel so gratified. It's great. Yeah, I think there's a lot of parallels. This one reminded me, this episode reminded me a lot of The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. And I think seeing Kylo have this, the 
the choice that is going to kind of make or break his destiny in a lot of ways or it doesn't ultimately but it feels like it does when he has to kill Han and it's I can't think of what Snoke says right now but uh, you've never faced such a test that's it and Kylo goes through with it and this was Riva's you've never faced such a test because I think I would speculate, and I'm going to headcanon until told otherwise, that Reva knows who Luke is and that Luke is Anakin's son um, when she is with him in Tatooine. And for her to have the opportunity to enact this kind of revenge that she's been waiting to do her whole life against the person who she would she would blame made her this way like as vader says to obi-wan i am what you made me i think reva would say the same to vader and i think that kylo in a lot of ways in the force awakens would also he basically does say that to han um and so to see reva make a different choice to not be able to go through with it i think was really powerful and yeah i'm really glad that this is where her storyline ended up it didn't feel it didn't feel rushed to me. It felt very natural the way that they've kind of built up these memories for her throughout the series. I know we've talked about how it's been challenging given current events, but, you know, looking at the story as it was laid out amongst all these episodes and even this kind of revelation from Obi-Wan was that last week, time is a flat circle. Um, it all felt, it felt earned at the end to see Reva make this new choice and I'm really glad that she did and I hope yeah. that we get to see more from her in the future I think there are a lot of ways her story can go so I'm I hope we get to see it yeah I just want to be clear about what I said about how Reva is like a direct product of Anakin's own actions I think in a lot of ways Reva is Anakin's shadow Vader's shadow and it just makes sense for her story to have in in this form in Obi-Wan Kenobi to end here um, in this sense of hope with this feeling of hope because that's ac actually where Anakin's story also ends but it's it's great because then we get to we have, we have this opportunity to think about Reva's own future as free what is that because Anakin never got that I think there's uh, there's been some talk online. In fact, Alex Kane, who is covering the show on What the Force right now with our friend MC, actually spoke about how Reva's name, so R-E-V-A, is within Vader, right? V-A-D-E-R. And it's it's backwards. It's a shadow. It's a reflection. And so, of course, it makes sense that Reva, who is traumatized by Anakin's own actions and living underneath his thumb as well has a has a sense of overcoming her trauma that is coming from Anakin and that is also a reflection of Anakin's own story and we know that as the audience and that's what's so special about Star Wars is this ability to like look forward and have all these different pieces so that it makes everything greater uh, I I don't know I just I find it really poetic and just amazing and it makes it makes for strengthening all these like I felt like the series in general strengthened a lot of my feelings about the Skywalkers Obi-Wan honestly Reva too like it makes me so excited for the future like you said just awesome really just awesome yeah well even kind of I think as we wrap up Reva's discussion uh thinking about her parallel to Ahsoka she's in the exact Reva's in the same place that we left Ahsoka in at the end of season five of 
what do I do now? Like I, like Anakin says to her, the Jedi is your home. Where are you going to go? And Ahsoka just has to figure it out in this galaxy where she's not a Jedi, but has lived her whole life that way. And now Reva's in the same position where she is free. Just like Ahsoka was free from the Jedi, Reva's now free from the Inquisitors. And I wouldn't say she's free from the dark side because I don't know if it works always like that. And I guess that's something I'd like to see Star Wars explore more of. Uh, And I think Reva would be a great character to do that with. Totally agree. Okay, so I know that we said that we were going to start like chronologically and go chronologically, but we've, we've, we're talking on character. It's just what we do. So let's talk then about Owen and Baru and their protection and we see them as parents. What did you think about seeing Owen and Baru? I'm so glad we finally got to see them. I, I love Owen now. I love him a lot. And yes, which is so <laughs> crazy because I did not feel that way before. Yeah, I think they did a really good job of of like connecting Owen's characterization in in Kenobi to who we see him as in A New Hope. I think we understand. I think we always kind of like you can infer if you know the Skywalker saga about why Owen would be talking to Luke the way that he is. And we even like, of course, like having seen Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, like Owen and Baru are aware of these things. It's why they're so protective of Luke. It makes sense. But to see Owen protective, there's something different about seeing him with child Luke and how he um, is so protective of of Luke and, and of Baru and doing literally anything in his power. Like it's clear that he loves Luke. Um, just in a new way, like adding this layer to Owen's character. It it really worked. And I think that they did so much with so little for Baru, (laughs) Aunt Baru. Like they had next to no screen time, uh, but they really made the most of it with Baru. These like little one-liners that she has, um, her being the one to create this plan for her and Owen when they know that Reva's coming of... Uh, this is what we're going to do. She's the one that pulls out the blasters out of this, you know, hole in the wall. And Owen's like, what, what? (laughs) And I loved when uh, Owen said, Ben's gone. And Ambrose says, yeah, and whose fault is that? Like, she's, she's very on it. And I'm really glad that the show gave her that opportunity to shine because it was such a brief amount of time that we got with her, but they really made it work. And I think really, again, added on to her character in a really meaningful way with not a lot of screen time. And yeah, I I was really pleased with it. And I loved seeing them both put up a fight against Reva. Again, this is very Kylo um, at the end of The Force Awakens when Kylo is basically hunting Rey in the forest, but he's hurt. And uh, Rey kind of uses that to her advantage. And so do Owen and Baru with Reva and them kind of doing everything in their power. And it was a very vicious fight. And especially like Reva and Baru at the end, the only thing I will say is I expected Reva, uh, Owen and Baru to like go out further when they're looking for Luke Me at the end because I'm too. pretty sure they tell him to go to the rocks, don't they, in the caves? But they're just like out in the open. <laughs> I, I just have to assume that the rocks are really far away. Yeah, I guess. And <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you because I was like, oh, they're just standing there yelling his name. Like that's not – 
I, I need to see good. a little more. I need to see them like running. Like yeah. let them be. But maybe they were just at the stairs. beginning of their search. Okay, that's what I'm. I'm going to tell myself right. that they were just at the beginning. Okay, <laughs> and that's why Obi Wan was like, "I'm going to go this way. You're going to go that." You know? Yeah. yeah they yeah. were they were figuring it out at that point, but yeah. I totally agree. I also think it was really fun to see the homestead thriving as a home. Yeah. I loved seeing all the plants and everything. And I'm so with you that like finally we got some brew content basically <laughs> and them just stepping into action right away. You get the sense from this series, which I think this series did so well, that both Luke and Leia were raised in such loving homes, both really different homes. Okay. But really loving homes. And Owen, Owen saying he is my own. Leia, Leia like true, we feel the love between her and her parents. And you just, you get the sense that it just feels, fills you with like warm fuzzies that like, oh, the, the Skywalker kids, like they're okay. They're going to be okay. And they're being raised okay. They made the Jedi that made this choice in Revenge of the Sith, like they made the right choice. These parents are going to protect their children. Little, seeing little Luke just just like I said in the last episode, how when I saw Luke all snug in his bed, I was just like, I, I love Luke so much. He's just, I was like crying at the sight of like 10-year-old Luke. And just seeing Owen and Baru be parents to him, I thought was just beautiful. And I, I really, really loved it. Well, them going into the shop in the beginning, it was very, it was very Anakin in Watto's yeah. shop. Like, I don't know. There was just something so great about it. And of course, the end when Owen asks, uh, Ben, if he wants to meet Luke, you get this sense oh of, of, <laughs> of of I lost it. Right? Lost it. <laughs> of Obi-Wan remembering meeting Anakin for the first time. And they look alike and they're they're both they've got the same haircut and the same blonde hair and like the whole thing. And that parallel I think was was really <laughs> really well done, really tugged at the heartstrings. It also wasn't heavy heavy handed though, either. I'd say this is probably the most heavy-handed part for me of the episode, <laughs> but, like, I'm not complaining. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? like, I don't think it, it wasn't super over the top for me. Like, I don't think – there could have been moments where Luke was over the top. Like, there was yeah. no power converters situation. I, I was totally expecting thought that. when he, yeah. they went into the shop they would bring that up. But, yeah, no, it wasn't – you're right. It wasn't heavy-handed. I think that it definitely was the most – like, here's what's coming next. Like, the next time you see these two, he'll be 20 and he'll be, I don't know how old Obi-Wan is in A New Hope, but like 60 or something like that, however old he's supposed to be. But yeah, I thought that they did a great, great job with how they used Luke in in this series and in this episode. And yeah, I'm really glad that they got to meet. And um, I kind of, I like that. Obi-Wan came to the realization at the end of the series that that Ben was right and that he just wanted Luke to have this normal life or to be a child and to not have this pressure of of the force of training of having a reckoning with his his past and I think Luke might have different opinions about that as he gets older and even once he understands the truth of where he came from but you understand that Owen and Baru and Obi-Wan are all kind of on the same page by the time we get to the end of the series about Luke and what his life should look like right now and I think that again it, it parallels it feeds very nicely into how Owen and Baru talk about Obi-Wan in the future in A New Hope. Okay, let's move on from the Tatooine story and move straight into Vader and Obi-Wan. The 
the rematch of the century. (laughs) We were in the room. If we could bring it back, we were in the room when Obi-Wan Kenobi was announced, when, when Ewan McGregor and Kathleen Kennedy had that viral clip of, are you going to return as Obi-Wan Kenobi? Yes. The whole, the whole nine yards. And then it was where there's going to be a rematch of the century. Um, And I have to be honest, I was kind of nervous about this just because I I think that fights without the thematic element present can sometimes just be like cool. And Star Wars is cool and it can just be cool and that's totally fine. But I was nervous that it would sort of undermine what we saw in on Mustafar that has just left such a ripple, I think, for so many fans. And I don't think this did at all. So we should start with the fact that Vader really lets his personal feelings get in the way constantly. And I thought it was really funny how the Grand Inquisitor just like was so mad. (laughs) 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 And it's just, it's, it's great always to see this. You get this with Kylo too. Like how many people who are around him. Yeah. Vader outranks everyone, but everyone knows that his personal feelings are constantly getting in the way. Right. And tracking down Obi-Wan is not more important than stopping the hundreds of Force-sensitive people, if that's their mission, of course. And this just the the dramatic shift of seeing the Star Destroyer, look, which looked amazing, by the way, move. It's kind of amazing to consider, like, <laughs> it's in space, right? So it's suspended in space. Like, the <laughs> fact that the camera is – you, it like, the entire object moved. I was like, damn, this is cool. Like, so many times, sometimes you forget. As someone who has a Star Wars podcast, spends a lot of time just talking about the themes and the certain character impacts and everything like that. But you really sometimes do, as much as I just said, you sometimes do forget that Star Wars is just so cool. So when you see, like, a cool shot of a ship or something, you're like – damn, like I know someone spent hours and hours on that shot and it looks so good. It was like straight out of Rogue One for me. And just the fact that then Obi-Wan leads him to this planet that is a rock desert, honestly. At first I was like, oh, is this Black Spire Outpost? Like, are we on Batu? <laughs> but no. Um, and I, I found myself thinking about the thematic reasons why we would be in the metaphorical reasons why we would choose this planet over another planet. And I think that Star Wars is so interesting in a lot of ways because of the planets are like a singular biome. <laughs> and we've laughed about this before because that's not really how planets are. It's not how Earth is. It's not how most planets are, right? Like there's not just a waterfall planet. That's not how it works, <laughs> you know? But Star Wars can do that. And it, it does that because of the themes that they're trying to present, right? And what they're trying to get across visually on screen constantly. So for me, I was like, okay, so we're at this rocky planet. It's definitely different than Mustafar. So if we want to compare these rematches, which we're supposed to, right? Because we're supposed to be reminded of of Mustafar, of that last time they really dueled um, when it was just them and their conversation. And of course, like they did meet each other earlier in the series. I'm not really referring to that, of course, but on Mustafar. And for me, I just think it's really interesting to consider the fact that uh, the planet and the environment, like 
you think about the alternatives, right? Like you think about, okay, so this duel could have been on a water planet. Okay, this cool, this duel could have been on Mustafar again. For me, if it was on Mustafar again, it would have been retreading the past, which is just not what I'm interested in. I think that they're both in different points in their lives and we need to reflect on that. And then I was like, okay, so if it was on a water planet or if it was raining or something, it would be sort of baptismal, it would be renewing. But that's not what we're after either with this fight. So then you have to think about what is this fight about and where are we going? And then of course... Deborah Chow and the writers return to the amazing episode of Star Wars Rebels, Twilight of the Apprentice, you know? And the thing is, in this outcome, we know how this is going to go down. Obi-Wan is going to live and so is Vader. But what is revealed here and what do we need to get out of, out of this scene for Obi-Wan's own character development? I think that by choosing it to be on a rocky planet with like hard dusty terrain, I think it's solid. I think it needs to solidify something. Like I think that we're really getting super close to, like it's almost over the top, right? As Star Wars usually is about something needs to be solidified in Obi-Wan's brain so that he can move on, so that they can both move on. And I think by the end of the series, like they do both move on because things are solidified on this rocky planet. I don't know if I'd say that Vader moves on entirely in the way that Obi Wan not does. on this planet. Yeah, not on this planet. I think that that comes in with Palpatine, which is just wow. Yeah. I, I did not expect to see a Palpatine hologram. It makes a lot of sense to me, but the very fact that when we see Palpatine later in the in the episode, the thing that we get from that hologram is this manipulation that continues with Vader. It's this identification that Obi Wan is a weakness for Anakin. Of, for Vader, but honestly for Anakin. And we can't have that. So he needs to shut that that part out and Palpatine needs to call that out because that's how he's going to pull the strings as he always does on Anakin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I must say though, I when we landed on this rocky, dusty planet, I was like, there's a lot of dust here that could get kicked up. I could see a tornado happening here. I was like, someone's <laughs> you're holding on. You're really holding I really on. Was. I was like, someone's gonna pop out Let go. from behind <laughs> one of those rocky crags and it's gonna be it's gonna be a ghost. I'm just I'm ready for it. It's gonna be a hallucination. I did think I, I did seriously though think that it was gonna almost be like Luke on Dagobah kind of going through a Vader, like stalking Obi-Wan through this this forest of stone, basically. And being assaulted like with hallucinations and stuff like that. I did see that as a possibility when we first got there, mm -hmm. but I let it go. I said goodbye to it. Um, but I, I, I was like, this could totally happen in this kind of setting. <laughs> I can 100% yeah. see it. But I think we should start talking through the actual dialogue and everything because this was um, – I don't really know how to describe it, but it was super good and <laughs> I love – It was a highlight of, of life. Of life, this conversation. <laughs> I It reminded me of like during Hayden Christensen's like whole press tour. He's talked a lot about – and specifically with us – about the imprisonment. <laughs> you, had to, you had to drop that. I, I just – I'm sorry, guys. I – I will it's still like name, the craziest thing that's ever happened for a while. Okay. I can't just say the press tour. I have to say specifically us. <laughs> and I know that that's a little braggy and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, but 
Hayden Christensen did talk a lot about uh, one seeing Anakin and Vader as the same person as one character, but then seeing uh, he said he talked he and Deborah Chow talked about this feeling of imprisonment that Anakin feels um, and like as Vader and everything. And I think that Hayden was probably thinking explicitly of the dialogue in this scene in the series finale because this to me said it all it like really kind of highlighted uh his mindset uh for who he is right now as Darth Vader and I think there's a lot of ways to begin talking about this scene because on the one hand it's very similar the the fight itself is very similar to the Force Awakens and uh to when the you kind of mentioned the lighting already very reminiscent of when Kylo kills Han the use of the lightsaber lighting and Starkiller base and all of that, very, very similar. And the way that that lighting in that scene depicts Kylo's morality and the choice that he's going to make in a lot of ways. And I think that that is very much influenced this scene in Obi-Wan Kenobi. But then there's also the fact that this is pretty much a direct, this is exactly what happens in Rebels too, where Obi-Wan is forced to truly confront who Anakin is now with the slash in the face and the helmet coming off. And uh, Anakin even says the same line of then you will die, uh, just like how he says that to Ahsoka in the future. And I think you can look at this and kind of wonder, okay, why are they doing the same thing here? Right. I think that's a valid question. And I think um, it might be easy to be like, it feels it feels just like a replay of what already happened or what will happen. Foreshadowing, backshadowing, who's to say, um, in Twilight of the Apprentice. But I think that it's actually really important because they are kind of so similar. You know that it's done purposely. Like they're trying to make you think of these two instances together. And so I think it's worthwhile for us in this episode to kind of talk about why these scenes are so similar uh, with the breaking of the helmet, of hearing Hayden Christensen's voice overlaid with James Earl Jones, just like we heard Matt Lantner's overlaid with James Earl Jones in uh, Rebels and, and the whole thing. And I find it really fascinating to kind of think about why they would want these scenes to be so similar. I think their dialogue is different um, because they have different relationships. Like Vader being the master over Ahsoka puts him in a different position in that whole uh, situation rather than uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan, Anakin and his master. And we saw that like whole flashback sequence of Anakin still feeling inferior to Obi-Wan, even though he's actually the better warrior than Obi-Wan. I don't think Anakin had that relationship with Ahsoka. So the, the dialogue is very different. But what happens is ultimately the same. I don't know. I think I think it was so good. But let's read the dialogue here because I did write it all down. So to make my time worthwhile at 4.30 this morning, I have to read it out to you. <laughs> the whole scene starts when they get there and Vader says, have you come to destroy me, Obi-Wan? Obi-Wan says the line, I will do what I must. Vader says, then you will die. This is the rebel's line. And then as they're going through the forest, Vader says, your strength has returned, but the weakness still remains. Vader gets the upper hand, begins burying Obi-Wan in the rocks, which that was vicious. And Vader says, and that is why you will always lose. And after Obi-Wan is buried, Vader says, did you truly think you could defeat me? You have failed, master. 
And then when Obi-Wan is in, he's like suspending the rocks around him and we start hearing all these voices again, all these voices of Anakin and Vader. And it keeps going back and forth between Anakin, sound bites from Anakin and sound bites from uh, Vader. And we can talk about those in detail too if we want later. But after Obi-Wan gets out of the the rocks and everything this is when they really fight and when obi-wan does a very similar move that ahsoka does and slashes the opposite side of the helmet that ahsoka does i think probably my favorite shot in the whole episode is when the camera pans out like obi-wan slashes vader's helmet and then the camera like goes really far away and it comes out from behind a rock and we just see like obi-wan standing there waiting and then it, it keeps panning to the right of the screen and we see Vader like fully stand up and you just hear him wheezing and everything. And then it does the close up on his face and you see Anakin, you see Hayden Christensen and Obi-Wan says, Anakin, like he's in disbelief, just like Ahsoka was. And Vader says, Anakin is gone. I am what remains, which a uh, dull knife to the heart. And then Obi-Wan says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Anakin, for all of it. And then this line that I think we will come back to forever of Vader, of really Anakin, Anakin's voice here says, I am not your failure. And then Vader says, Obi-Wan. Um, so I'm not your failure, Obi-Wan. You didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. I did. And then uh, this is when we see all the lights changing across Vader's face. It goes from we see the, the blue illuminating Obi-Wan's face. We see Vader's face kind of highlighted by red. But then like Anakin's actual face is like this bluish purple light that's being reflected from Obi-Wan's saber, but lightsaber. But as he says, you didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. I did. Everything changes and that red light, he's completely bathed in that red light. He's made his choice. And then that's when Obi-Wan says, then my friend is truly dead. Goodbye, Darth, and leaves him. This line really gets me. First off, it's because you're the the, the waffling between red and blue is so The Force Awakens. You've been saying yeah. this for a while. The color theory of it all, it's you really are supposed to be recognizing the differences and understanding that it really is Anakin and Vader, Anakin and Vader, Anakin and Vader. They're the same person, but at this point, you do have hope for him because you're supposed to have hope for Vader this entire time, right? And you have hope for Anakin breaking through. And the camera lingers, I think it's worth noting that the camera understands that we want to, and by that, Deborah Chow understands, the camera gets that we want to see the fact that there's a man underneath that mask. How does this work? How is he operating? How is this voice, two different voices all together? It was perfect. It was so well done. And the line of, you didn't kill Anakin Skywalker, I did, is Anakin hates himself. He hates himself. And it is so clear in this in this series how much he does. He wants Obi-Wan to suffer as much as he does because it's a recognition of Anakin's own, like he knows how much he is suffering because of everything he did. I think that Anakin just thinks he's too far gone. He doesn't think, he says it's, he says it's too late for him in, uh, to Luke later. And I think he would say the same thing to Obi-Wan here or if Luke was here right now. I think he'd say it was too late because he hates himself so much. There's so much self-loathing. And of course there is because Anakin has done all those terrible things that we talked about earlier in the episode with Reva, creating people like Reva, right? And I think that this, this scene is just 
ah, it is so well done. It's so well shot. And there's just so much room and space for your mind to go all different places with hating Darth Vader, with loving Anakin Skywalker, with feeling such pity for this man. It's just beautiful. I want to go back a couple of couple of parts though, where Vader buries Obi-Wan alive. And I think that there's so much there <laughs> that needs to be discussed because yeah, Hayden Christensen, Deborah Chow, they've all described how Vader is living in a prison of his own creation. And Anakin, again, recognizes that. And what if if Vader is after recreating the same thing over and over and over again for, for Obi-Wan, we saw this a couple episodes back while, while Vader drags Obi-Wan over, over flame. Here, he creates a tomb for Obi-Wan. He doesn't know he's going to be able to get out. He walks away thinking that he, he's... He's it's it's over. They're not interested in really killing each other, which I think is an interesting part of this entire duel. It really reminds me of that Revenge of the Sith novelization quote that we return to often, and it's one of Caitlin's favorites. I don't know if Caitlin, do you have that quote? Yeah, yeah, I pulled it up actually while we were talking, so that's great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the quote from the Revenge of the Sith novelization is: "This was not Sith against Jedi. This was not light against dark or good against evil. It had nothing to do with duty or philosophy, religion or morals. It was Anakin against Obi Wan personally, just the two of them, and the damage they had done to each other." That's exactly what we're experiencing here once the once the mask is slashed. Once the I mean, it's it's even before that. It's with the encasing in, in this tomb, in this coffin underground. Vader has the high ground once again and is looking down at him, knowing that he's succeeded in this, but they're not interested in in uh killing each other, I guess. They weren't really interested in that in on Mustafar either. It, it didn't really feel like that, especially at the end there. I mean, as much as Obi-Wan walked away thinking that he was dead or he left him for dead, he didn't finish the job himself. He let the lava do it for himself. He couldn't bring himself to do it. And I don't think either of them could bring themselves to do it here either. I, you, you can argue against that. I think I could argue against myself for that as well. But I do think there's so much personal business in this fight. And that's why I think this rematch is actually great. I think it's good. I also want to talk about how the fact that they hold hands for a brief second in this. I mean, it couldn't be more close, <laughs> right? I think that these people are separated first off by a mask and their past. And when they, uh, they're fighting and holding hands, I mean, I don't, again, I don't think you can get, that's such an interesting choreographical move that they did. Hands are a language. And at this time, this language is the past, is everything that they've done to each other, like that Revenge of the Sith quote. And the moment that Obi-Wan slashes that mask, you feel it. You just feel this, this breath let out from everyone, from the audience, from Obi-Wan, who finally sees Anakin. He says his name. And his eyes change too. His eyes change from blue to yellow to blue to yellow. And actually, I have to say, Revenge of the Sith is my favorite Star Wars movie. And I did not notice that Anakin's eyes change from blue to yellow, blue to yellow on Mustafar on, in the lava bank when he is almost about to burn to life, the immolation scene. I did not notice that until recently. And you get the same situation here. And just like in Twilight of the Apprentice, you get the sense that you're getting a glimpse at Anakin and you are getting a glimpse at Anakin, but Again, with the greatest thing about Star Wars is you know the ending, but it has to be Luke. It will always be the love of a father to his son and the son loving the father that will bring him back. I think that that strength that brings Vader back 
to Anakin is also the strength that gets Obi-Wan out of that tomb that Vader encased him in. Because he thinks about Leia, he thinks about Luke and the hope for the future there. Again, with the thematic storytelling, it all relates back to to that. It all every single piece goes back to the hope for the future with these children. And that's how Obi-Wan survives. That's how Obi-Wan gets out in the 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 thoughts that he thinks about all those quotes, like what you said, we can talk about those. I mean, there's so many quotes <laughs> that you hear about uh, the past with Anakin. This is the end for you, my master. Admit that you are beaten. Um, but it's the memories of Luke and Leia. It's the thought about the hope for the future that really brings him out of that despair. And that's a metaphor for the entire series. We start with a, a man who's so broken and we end with a man with hope. I think that it just... I, I I need to live in the moment of the fact that they held hands while fighting. <laughs> Again, it really is a crazy choice, right? But it it made so much sense in that moment. But oh my gosh, you really do realize like these two brothers are so close. They're so close to something, but you know that they'll never get there just based off of the way that the story goes. And it's devastating. It is tragedy. Star Wars is tragedy. And this reflection, I mean, we have to talk about how these are two opposite sides of the mask that are slashed open, right? So we have the mask that uh, Ahsoka slashed open in um, in Rebels is one side. And then on this side, we get to see the right side of it when Obi-Wan slashes it open. I can't, I was, I was really like, I feel like they should do this. I feel like as a, as an audience member and I was watching, I was like, they should do it. Just slash the mask. Just do it. <laughs> slash the mask. Do it. Do it. Do it. And then they did it. And I was like, I'm so glad they did. And yes, I think you're right. It's good to ask like, okay, we're retreading this. We're retreading a couple things here. But what's the point? We have these people who are so close to Anakin. But again, I don't mean to beat a drum, but like this is what Dave Filoni would always talk about with Ahsoka, about how like it's not going to be Ahsoka who brings Anakin back. It's not going to be Obi-Wan who brings Anakin back. It has to be Luke. So of course, Luke is the one that gets the full glimpse of Anakin underneath the mask. We only get a half of the face with both Ahsoka and Obi-Wan. We have to wait for the full unmasking, the removal of that layer between them that separates them until Return of the Jedi. It's just great. Yeah. And if anyone, like we talk about with Anakin before, like his fall, it comes in like threes, right? It's Shmi, it's Ahsoka, it's Padme. And how we can Mm -hmm. kind of look at these major losses in his life as inching him closer and closer to the path that he ultimately takes with the dark side. And but so, too, is the the flip side of that is these people getting glimpses of the man beneath the mask coming in threes of Obi-Wan, Ahsoka, and then Luke. And these are Obi-Wan and Ahsoka are the only people that would have had any chance of really reaching to who Anakin was. And they do. They get these moments of seeing him inside the mask, of uh, hearing Anakin's voice himself. You know, like these are all things that are meant to grow sympathy in the character and for the journey that he'll ultimately go on. But it's never going to be either of these characters. And I think I think that's part of why they chose to do the mask slashing. I think it's part of why Ahsoka did, like the choice was for Ahsoka to do that in the story in Twilight of the Apprentice because it's important for her to, for, for Ahsoka's journey personally, because in that episode, she still, she still doesn't really believe that it's Anakin. She's trying to deny it. And that was solidifying for her who was really there and you talked about this too, like part of the environment, right? It's a rock solid, solidifying. Um, it's you know, Obi Wan is going through the same thing. I think. I think he had already kind of accepted that this was Anakin in a way that I don't think Ahsoka 
maybe had or was willing to do by the time she gets to Twilight of the Apprentice. But both of them come out of those experiences, um, different people, whereas Vader is digging himself even deeper into his own imprisonment with Vader. Something I wanted to add before I forget about um, this parallel to like with the lighting with Han and Kylo in The Force Awakens, and I realize this is a, a thematic jump, but I will forget it because it's not written down in our notes. <laughs> um, but part of <laughs> right, and I'm so sorry. Um, part of what makes this scene—it's been a while since we talked about The Force Awakens—but in that scene with with Han and Kylo, the way that it plays out is you always imagine like Kylo could make a different choice here. Like it's, it's on the table for him in that moment with Han and Han offers it to him. And even though we know that he's going to kill Han, that you still feel that tension every time. And I think that we feel that same tension in these scenes with Anakin and Obi-Wan and then with Anakin and Ahsoka too. Um, and I think that particularly the dialogue that they make here for Anakin kind of leads to that tension of what if, what if he made a different choice here? The the choice to have Anakin hate and be the one to say, I am not your failure. Obi-Wan is in a way a release for Obi-Wan. It's almost like telling obi it is telling obi-wan it's not your fault i'm like yeah. this way it's it's very um there's a sense of compassion there that's interesting well and of ownership from anakin mm-hmm. of the choice that he's made in his life and it's such an interesting line to hear from from anakin in this moment and yeah the overlay of the voices of anakin saying i am not your failure and then it being vader's voice james earl jones who says obi-wan I think it's just, it's so great. And I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall of them going back and forth of deciding when was the moment to use Hayden, when was the moment to use James or Earl Jones, like probably exactly what they did back with Ahsoka and Vader too, and like Matt Lantner in Twilight of the Apprentice. But I think to kind of even think more about this parallel, because again, I think I think it's a good question to ask, continue to work through of why draw such a strong parallel between Rebels and Kenobi in this moment. Um, I think that the reasons, like some of the motivations behind all of all of the fights, like if, if Vader is revealed three times, right? He's revealed to Obi-Wan, he's revealed to Ahsoka, and he's revealed to Luke, basically. And if we're going chronologically, like Obi-Wan chooses to leave Anakin, uh, Ahsoka chooses to stay and Luke chooses to stay with Vader. But they're also all kind of different motivations too because Obi-Wan chooses to leave because he has hope for Luke and Leia who are, of course, Anakin's children, which he knows. And we have not even talked about his little speech to Leia at the end because that will really get me. But um, that is what is propelling him to leave Vader at the end, even after seeing Anakin. Whereas Ahsoka, for her, she says that she'll avenge Anakin. But there's like that really great conversation between the two of them even, where, right, Anakin says like, you left me or something like that. Um, And Ahsoka says, I won't leave you this time. But she's saying to avenge her master that she feels is dead, which is the same conclusion that Obi-Wan comes to at the end of this duel too, you know, that my friend is truly dead. Ahsoka comes to the same conclusion too. But then Luke chooses to stay just like Ahsoka chose to stay. 
but his motivation is ultimately compassion and love for Vader. And I think I think it's really cool to to track these moments of of revelation of revealing of Anakin two different characters the people that loved him the most and this is what makes Luke Luke's story so important because even the people that knew him the most uh couldn't do what Luke could do and it really yeah it's important and I imagine that it's so hard to like figure out how to have these kinds of moments of tension and thematic storytelling with them with characters like Obi-Wan and Vader because it's already so layered and and there's so much going on and there are so many restrictions because you can't let any of them diminish what Luke is ultimately going to do because then it doesn't feel as earned in the end and I just think it's really it's really really great and I'm I'm glad that we kind of have this uh, this poetry, <laughs> this poem, if you will, of all these different scenarios to compare of, of Vader with the people that he loves the most, I would say. And then kind of the last thing I wanted to say on this point was um, thinking more about like the balance of Luke and Leia. And Luke is the one who ultimately saves Vader, but Leia saves Obi-Wan. The twins save the brothers. And I just think that's really great. And again, sing the praises of this show for really making it about Leia and because Luke gets his story he gets his moment to bring someone back from the brink and so to see Leia have that same kind of influence and uh, I don't want to say power but like pool for Obi-Wan no you can say power yeah. I think it is power yeah I think it is her quiet power yeah I think that's that's really powerful because um I think we often talk about Right. We've been talking about how Luke does this. It's so great what Luke does. Um, It's so amazing. And it is. And like, that's the story of father and son. But to kind of shift the narrative here to show Leia having essentially a similar effect on Obi-Wan that Luke eventually does on Vader, I think is really powerful. Yeah, it really makes me think of that rant <laughs> from Freddie Prince Jr. about how oh, yeah. <laughs> when the 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 galaxy is in its utmost darkness, ruled by two Sith, what does the galaxy produce? Two twins. Two twins. And yeah, so the balance of the force, they do represent the balance of the force. I think that is so astute, Caitlin, to say that there's a sense of Leia saving Obi-Wan. And I think by the end of it, I expected almost Obi-Wan to say like, I love you, Leia, or something like that, to express that that feeling. But of course, I can't expect that from Obi-Wan. Mr. Never expresses himself. Yeah. So, <laughs> But it, I think you feel it. You feel it enough in that hug. There's yeah. just so much there. And again, I think that this this show does so much to really think about it really does change the way I think about Leia's interaction with uh, Obi-Wan in the future. Like she's so excited when she's, she's like, Ben Kenobi, where is he? You know? And uh, this like cool uncle Obi-Wan basically that <laughs> uh, was this mythic figure. And when she was 10 years old and who knows how much longer that happens. If, if there's a season two, like I have to expect we'll see little Leia again. But I mean, there's a reason why she named her son, Ben like she saved Obi-Wan and in a sense like then Ben Solo has to save Rey in the future right like the the so the balance of the force can be restored and I I think that there's like these two figures do represent that and the more that Star Wars can uh dig into that storytelling I think it really is effective and um it's brilliant 
It's great. Well, even thinking about, right, the balance of Luke is one half or Leia is one half of the twins of the balance. And then she, her son, Ben, is half of the dyad. Um, Mm -hmm. It all, it works. It all works out. It's just the, it's the rule of two, but it's like the reverse rule of two. It's just great. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I also think that it's, I was so gratified. I know we're like, I sort of already talked about this, but when Obi-Wan talked about Leia's birth parents um, to her, I, it's like what I wanted. (laughs) I do think that Padme has lived above this entire series, this entire time. And you all know that I was like moved to tears in the, the premiere when we were watching and we saw those like literal clips from Revenge of the Sith with Padme in it. Like I could not believe it, but like, it feels like in every single episode, there's this sense of like, oh, she's hanging above. She uh, is is present here. There's a sense of like duty to and honoring Padme's own legacy. And just, I, I want to add to that by saying, I think it was great that Obi-Wan not only talked about Padme and how much Pat- the quality qualities that he sees in Leia, but then also the qualities of uh, Anakin in Leia, which I think we've talked about this in the show before, about how there's feistiness, that fearlessness, that Leia has like we've always kind of attributed that to to Anakin and not necessarily Padme and I really love that he spoke that and the fact that he said like they bore an exceptional daughter I was like oh my god this like <laughs> so emotional to me ah, it was so good it was so good I think it's so important that this moment comes after Obi Wan has met with Vader because even though we see that. Obi-Wan, right? We've been talking about this the whole series, right? Of Obi-Wan, how he talks about Vader to Luke in A New Hope. Like, how are they going to end their relationship with Obi-Wan and Vader in this series? Like, where does it come out? Does Obi-Wan have hope for Vader? What does he really think about Vader's persona, about his his destiny, his fate, his soul, I guess? Um, and I think... I think it's still a little up in the air, and I think it's kind of smart how they did it, honestly, because we see Obi-Wan say, you know, that my friend is truly dead, and he says goodbye, Darth, uh, even though he's been appealing to Anakin. Earlier in the series, Obi-Wan has, he keeps saying Anakin, um, like you knew Anakin, it is Anakin Skywalker, in this moment he keeps talking to Anakin. I don't, I don't think he says Vader to Vader. I don't think no, he, I don't think so either. Yeah, it's like very it's very specific that he keeps referring to Vader as Anakin because that's all he knows. But then after this moment, we see him say Darth. It's very clear that that Obi-Wan has drawn a line in the sand. But then we get to this moment with Leia and he's telling Leia about all these great qualities that her father had that she now has. And I think that to me that feels like he's still that represents some of the hope that I think Obi-Wan still has for Anakin. Um, at least that's kind of how I'm head canoning, canoning it now. The ending of the series too, I just want to say like just the cuts and everything really reflected the ending of Revenge of the Sith where we go from mm-hmm. planet to planet. We go from Mustafar or like the realization of Vader in this prison forever. I mean, you get that sense when you see that Palpatine hologram, right? That like, oh, the manipulation continues. I already spoke about that. But then we cut to Alderaan and we cut to Tatooine and that hope is restored again through the children. It's like, it's the same ending, but somehow 
it's just <laughs> all the more um, impactful because we actually see these, they're not just babies anymore. They're, they're children who are alive and <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Have personalities. And Leia like goes from being, and she's still rambunctious. I'm not saying that she's not, but she is, has a, she sees a future where she's a leader. And uh, I love that change in her, her having the tallest ho- holster, which is so good. Our friend Tori actually pointed out that on the holster, it looks like part of there's there's like this octagonal piece or hexagonal piece that is on her uh, her costume at the end of A New Hope, um, in, in on belt. the belt, on her belt, yeah. Um, so that continues <laughs> throughout. I mean, I loved the fact that Obi Wan gave her the holster, and then her being I don't know, it was just so funny. Their their banter is just perfect okay. with Obi Wan being like, "You're ten. I'm not going to give you a blast." <laughs> Love it. Well, and then Love Lola it. fitting into the holster. Oh, it's so cute. L- the Lola of it all, just like so Leia cute. giving Lola to Obi Wan and Obi Wan admitting that he was scared and nervous to Leia. I think is also shows a just a tremendous amount of honesty. I yeah. said that, of course, Obi-Wan doesn't talk about his feelings, but actually that's a, that's a period where he does and yeah. I was really happy that he did. So cute. Yeah, I really, yeah, I was, I had almost thought that we were going to end with Palpatine and Vader, but to see us really kind of spend the time to see like Luke and Leia in their homes, I thought it was such a great choice and yeah, I was really happy with it and seeing like talking about like the hope that Obi-Wan has for the future, right? Bale tells him, I fear for her future. Uh, but then when Obi-Wan is on Tatooine and talking to Owen about Luke, he says the future will work itself out. And I think that is very indicative of Obi-Wan's mindset. And of course, we haven't even discussed that after this, this kind of uh, it's weird to call it like a happy ending, but this like feeling of, I don't know, like catharsis at the end, he finally sees Qui-Gon and I just, I don't know why I kind of burst out laughing of like, of course, Obi-Wan is riding the EOP and Qui-Gon just appears. <laughs> Like, it's just though it's it's great. It's like I don't I didn't want Qui-Gon to appear in this fight between these two brothers. Like I didn't think Qui-Gon needed to be there. Yeah. I am yeah. happy that Qui-Gon was just at the end and the, oh, they were joking, you know? It was just it, it was, was very jovial. Yeah. And I was, think yeah, it it works perfectly too because something I mentioned earlier is right like Obi-Wan meeting Luke is very reminiscent of him meeting Anakin in The Phantom Menace. And so now him finally being able to converse with his master again on Tatooine, it feels like another beginning in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Like Obi-Wan started on his journey with Anakin on Tatooine after the loss of, of his master, Qui-Gon. And now he's met Luke, who is this spitting image of Anakin. But Obi-Wan has so much more hope for the future now. The future will work itself out. And now he's again embarking on this new journey with Qui-Gon. And I I like hearing Qui-Gon say Obi-Wan's name. I don't know why, but it really got me. I was like, whoa. That it is, brought me back. That is like a, I don't know, but that is a soundbite, a nostalgic soundbite I didn't know I had. <laughs> right. I totally, exactly, exactly. I mean, I just think it's great. The whole, I was always here, Obi-Wan. You were just not ready to see me. 
come on, we have a ways to go. It's just so hopeful. Yeah, yeah. And the concept of like someone who is long past a father figure, if you will, for Obi-Wan has always, who died in his arms that starts off the duel of the fates, right? That the ending of the fate of the boy, like the, the, the man is back and he was always there for Obi-Wan, even in the darkest times. But he, it wasn't until Obi-Wan accepted that hope in his heart, really, that he was able to see Qui-Gon again, which is, I think, Qui-Gon's whole testament, too, in in A New Hope, I mean, in The Phantom Menace, right? Like, he really believes in the future of a child. So once Obi-Wan also is able to believe in the future of two children, and it's not like he did before, but I just don't think he, he really didn't think about Luke and Leia as like actual kids, right? Or like actual people. Yeah. He saw them from a distance and he was so depressed and so down that until he got to know these kids, he softened. And I think that's the same thing with uh, – that's what he needed to do because that's what Qui-Gon wanted him to do. That's what Qui-Gon did with Anakin. He really believed in this boy and he was going to lay everything. He did lay everything on the line for Anakin to be trained. And – I their conversations, I think they have a long ways to go and I'd love to see it in season two or in another series. I don't know. <laughs> I I think that the ending was really perfect. I just love that they're so they're banter right away. It it wasn't super serious. It wasn't over the top. It was well it took you long enough. You know? Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. It's such a good way to to understand that like they're continuing their story in the way that like Star Wars does, you know? And yeah, it really makes you think like who do Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon think the Chosen One is right now? <laughs> well, that would be a great thing to deal with with season two because we know that the Chosen One is a topic of well, what he says to Maul and Twin Sons yeah. is that Luke is the Chosen One. Yeah. And I think and that like Qui-Gon sense... believes about Anakin in the beginning, but like now Qui-Gon obviously knows what has become of Anakin, but he's also yeah, of like... the Cosmic Force. Right. Right. Anyway, food for thought. <laughs> It's it's a lot of food, and I'm ready to, to feast. <laughs> it's an all-you-can-eat buffet, everything on the Lazy Susan. It's just Bring it on. A conveyor belt, the Crate Dragon Sushi Bar, but it's like the sushi that comes to you on the little conveyor belt around the restaurant. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. The Yo Sushi of it all. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Exactly. Um, okay. So – I wanted, I got on this train at 4.30 in the morning thinking about Star Wars' tragedy, and I said this at the top of the show, that this episode, the essence of this, like, when we say Star Wars' tragedy, we mean the essence of this episode. And it's kind of all the things we've been talking about, about this feeling of the weight of the story, but with this like this long drawn out ending that we got that in a lot of ways was very hopeful and happy. And uh, there's like this sense of elation and it feels good, but we've also like, we've also gone through all this horrible stuff and I thought it would be good to just kind of talk about or really just read this long definition about um, tragedy. Uh, because when you and I mention it, we're usually referring to like how it mirrors like the Greek tragedy of like ancient Greek plays and stuff like that. And we, of course, joke about it being the actual heavy, angsty stuff. But saying Star Wars is tragedy does not mean that it's only sad, heavy things. There's actually a lot more going on with the emotions of 
uh, of a Greek tragedy and in our case of Star Wars as tragedy. So I wanted to read this definition um, that kind of, or this like excerpt from Wikipedia that kind of talks more about what Greek tragedy actually is or how some scholars kind of define what the Greek tragedy is. Because I think to me, it really kind of explains why this episode works so well and why something like Revenge of the Sith works so well too and and Star Wars as a whole but I think these episodes are really kind of they have a lot of the same themes and a lot of the same pacing especially as we've talked about at the end of the episode um, of going to like the different planets of seeing Mustafar, Luke and Leia or Leia and then Luke and all of that. So this is from Wikipedia talking about Greek tragedy and so they it writes Aristotle wrote the first critical study of the tragedy in his uh, book, The Poetics. He uses the concept of mimesis, which also means imitation, and catharsis, which can also mean cleansing, to explain the function of tragedy. Aristotle writes, tragedy is therefore an imitation of a noble and complete action, which through compassion and fear produces purification of the passions. Whereas mimesis implies an imitation of human affairs, catharsis means a certain emotional cleansing of the spectator. What exactly is meant by emotional cleansing, however, remains unclear throughout Aristotle's work, The Poetics. Although many scholars have attempted to define this element vital to the understanding of Aristotle's poetics, they remain divided on the subject. J. Gregory, who wrote A Companion to Greek Tragedy, for instance, argues that there is, quote, a close relationship between tragic catharsis and the transformation of pity and fear into essentially pleasurable emotions in the theater. Catharsis on this reading will denote the overall ethical benefit that accrues from such an intense yet fulfilling integrated experience. Exempt from the stresses that accompany pity and fear in social life, the audience of tragedy can allow these emotions an uninhibited flow that is satisfyingly attuned to its completion of the rich human significance of a well-plotted play. A catharsis of this kind is not reducible to either purgation or purification of emotions. And then Jonathan Lear, this is the last quote, um, who is quoted from uh, the anthology essays on Aristotle's poetics, writes that um, it promotes, tragedy promotes the most sophisticated view of catharsis, the idea that it provides an education for the emotions. Tragedy provides us with the appropriate objects towards which to feel pity or fear. And I know that was a lot, but I feel like we've never actually kind of broken this down in a more, I guess, like scholarly way. Um, (laughs) But I think that um, particularly what Jay Gregory wrote about um, that watching something like Star Wars, or as he's talking about it, the Greek, a Greek tragic play, is that the audience is exempt from the stresses that accompany pity and fear in social life. The audience of tragedy can allow these emotions an uninhibited flow that is satisfyingly attuned to its completion of the rich human significance of a well-plotted play. And I think like that is what we're watching with Star Wars. We're seeing all of these moments that are so heavy and weighty for these characters. Um, and we're like attuned to their relationships through literal decades now at this point, both in the galaxy and also in our own world. And there's something so cathartic about seeing it all play out, knowing the ending in certain parts, not knowing the ending for other characters, but they're all about these like personal relationships and the politics and 
And so when we say that Star Wars is tragedy, it's not about the literal tragedy of a character or the episode. It's about the emotional catharsis that comes from these themes that Star Wars is based off of, things like hope, human relationships, politics and society, destiny and fate. And there's like that catharsis in an episode like this where the only thing that is really at stake is Reva's choice, but we're still here to watch all their relationships and conversations play out because it gives us insight into who they are as humans and how they relate to each other and how they're moving on to the next step. Um, And we appreciate the tragedy of seeing Anakin tell Obi-Wan that it's not his fault, but then seeing Obi-Wan tell Leia all the wonderful qualities of her parents, knowing the future that awaits her and Luke. Um, I probably should have like built more onto that paragraph. I'm like reading from my notes here, but again, I don't even remember writing this (laughs) this morning. 4.30 in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Literally in a haze, in a daze. Um, But I think that this, like I said, this the essence of this episode is Star Wars' tragedy because there's all of these emotions at play at once because the, like Star Wars is a saga, particularly like the Skywalker saga, and Obi-Wan is such a main player in that. And of course, that's kind of his uh, motivations uh, throughout this series. It's just different Skywalkers giving him different motivations as he moves throughout the series and his own character journey. But yeah, I think that the discussion of what is actually the Greek tragedy is really important because it's not just sorrow. It's this culmination of all these emotions based on human existence and like relationships and society and everything like that. And I think that's why Star Wars stands out so much when we're looking at different franchises um, and things like that. There's just something that's very, you know, here with a thousand faces, there's something very um, ancient and like humanistic for me in a way that other franchises aren't necessarily. And I think, and I think this episode really kind of laid it all out in a very, I don't know, understandable and approachable way. And I think Revenge of the Sith does that. That's like part of why Revenge of the Sith works so well as what is this horrible thing that happens in this, in that movie, but we know where it ends and where it's going. And the the epilogue, if you will, Revenge of the Sith leads you down that path that you walk away feeling sad, but also like hopeful for the future. And this episode of Kenobi just completely expands that in a much bigger way. I would add on and say that the concept of catharsis in stories and emotional cleansing, like you read before, uh, is part of what we would define as that nebulous Star Wars feeling. Yeah. And how what makes a good Star Wars story a good Star Wars story to me always has to do with the level of compassion and catharsis and that balance of both of that and how how we as an audience understand something and how it relates within the story itself, I guess. You're right. We haven't really ever talked about that, but there's like, we, we definitely are isms. Like our Star yeah. Wars is tragedy <laughs> is one of our isms that looked to the animation department for the future of Star Wars. Like if you watch Rebels, you knew what was coming. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. There's a, there's some things that we've been saying for a while. And I think that actually adds to our own emotional catharsis and emotional cleansing when we are spending a lot of time with these stories so close to us, you know, that yeah. we have these expectations and these beats that we want to, we want our characters to hit because we know that they can and we know that they should. And when they do, it feels really good. <laughs> and that's also part of the the tragedy of it all, the 
because we want we want to feel that pain that that heartbreaking I don't know it's like the only way that you know that you're alive right (laughs) in a in a deep way but uh, yeah I think that's why it's so that was why it was so popular like the concept of a comedy or a tragedy especially a tragedy like it was popular back then you know yeah yeah and even like those those plays in ancient Greece the tragedy and the comedy and, and ancient Rome and everything they follow very similar beats there's a structure to those stories that the audience knows and is anticipated and uh, I think when we're talking about rebels and Kenobi and how similar they are, like you were saying, Charlotte, earlier, there's that, oh, he should slash the face. He should do it. He should, you know, see what's underneath the helmet. And he does. And it's like, oh, we we know this structure. We know this story. But let's see how Obi-Wan approaches it versus how Ahsoka approaches it. Why are they different? What are their relationships with the character who means so much to both of them? But they both come away with different things we should really do an episode on tragedy because i think that there's a lot more that we can go into here because you're really just scratching the surface of greek tragedy yeah i think so much of um literature film are also influenced by the concept of shakespearean tragedy too and those things are different yet the same and are reflective of each other and i think that star wars as its creator was so influenced by anthropology his own major i think that it's reflected in all of those. Like Star Wars is just an amalgamation of so many different things. All these different storytelling goes so far back into ancient Greece, but it also goes back into the Renaissance era. It goes back into today. It goes back to the fifties. It goes back to the birth of the film. It goes, it was now it is reflecting other television shows. Like it's, it is uh, on all level playing with all their different points of how you understand what, catharsis is and again just to bring it back to the series (laughs) I think this series did an amazing amazing job of telling one singular story and ending it on a way that feels um cathartic you know and feels uh really good like I spent the whole day like basically tearing up at several different parts (laughs) of the series. I'm still doing it like as we speak right now. (laughs) And I think at the same time, I'm like, when can I watch it again? It's it's just to feel that sense of uh, emotion is something that you return to again and again and again. It's in in order to create that. I mean, I think that that is a sense. It's almost a miracle, right? When you write something like that, that the audience can return to constantly. At least that's how I feel. I know that I'm sure there are going to be people who aren't, this isn't their favorite Star Wars. And like, that's just how it is always going to be with, with things like this. But for me, again, I, I mean, personally, I just have never felt more gratified as a Star Wars fan throughout this, which is like, it's so crazy to say, because I felt gratified as a Star Wars fan in the sequel trilogy. I like, throughout those movies constantly but for some reason this one really hit on something that was so like childlike for me well yeah because what it's hitting on is like your direct relation to star wars yeah child yes and i think we've always been kind of waiting for this kind of story and we got it <laughs> it's so crazy it's great and so the catharsis feels feels stronger because it, it's really it is touching on something that is so near and dear to us. And I think we've talked a ton about, we have a whole two-part series about the pros and cons of nostalgia in in storytelling and in Star Wars specifically, because it's it's a, 
a balance. It's a hard line. And we've certainly been the people to be like, why are we always playing to the nostalgia of the original trilogy? It's not fun. It's not as fun as it could be, or it feels so pointed. Um, and we've, of course, been those people because for us, the prequels are our are our stories that we grew up with that touch on that really childhood feeling for us. And so, you know, there's no good answer to when nostalgia is good or heavy handed or um, shouldn't be used. I think when it comes to something like Star Wars, I think it's an ever changing game. And I don't know, it just in this moment, it was it. It really, yeah, it was that feeling that I've wanted a lot. And I've gotten from a lot of Star Wars. But, yeah, this just felt really different. Um, And I've, you know, most 90% of Star Wars I love. And it works super, (laughs) super well for me on a lot of levels. But this definitely is uh, near the top for me now. It'll be one of those things I think that we're referencing a lot on the show. It'll become part of our isms, I imagine. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, what are we going to take the in into all of our other discussions from this? Is like kind of a question sometimes I ask myself these days. Yeah. <laughs> and I think a lot is going to come from this show, which says yeah. a lot. I just think that this show did character work so perfectly, and I'm endlessly grateful to everyone who worked on it. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Absolutely. All right. Well, is there anything else you want to mention, discuss before we kind of wrap up? No. I mean, I think that this show, again, just want to say again, the show was an A++ for me. I think, Kaylin, you and I want to do a Q&A episode next, right? So maybe we could solicit those questions. Yeah. I think after the Book of Boba Fett, we did a Q&A episode for you to ask us anything that we had missed talking about or things we need to revisit, perhaps a different perspective that you had from us on certain scenes or characters uh, throughout the book of Boba Fett. And that was really great. We really enjoyed it. So we thought it might be a good idea to do it for Obi-Wan Kenobi too. So please send us any questions that you have about the series um, and we would love to talk about them. Yeah, you can email us at hello at skytalkers.com or add us on Twitter. Um, It's probably the easiest if you could email us because then we can have them all in one area. But uh, yes, please send in your questions before, I guess, Monday the 27th. That would be the deadline, I suppose. Yeah. And like Charlotte said, you can email them to us, but really you can send them to us anywhere. <laughs> um, you can find us yeah. on Twitter at SkyTalkersPod or our personal handles. Mine is at Caitlin Plusher and Charlotte's is at Clarity. Um, if you are looking for our email addresses, they are on our website, SkyTalkers.com. We also have our Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. You can find us in all of those places. I probably wouldn't submit questions on TikTok. I just don't know like where they would go. I feel like they'd be hard in the question and answer area. But no, again, I just think I think if you would send us to (laughs) send us to them over email, it's just way easier. Yeah, I feel like email or Twitter is yeah, but email number one. Um, Don't just don't send it via TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) No TikTok. We love TikTok, but. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) there's a bigger chance for us to miss it on TikTok, I feel like, than any other platform. But we will try. We will be on the lookout if you decide 
to go the TikTok route. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, you can find us on all of those places. And uh, if you haven't left us a review yet on iTunes or Spotify, it'd be a great opportunity for you to take a couple seconds to go and do that. Everyone that has left us reviews recently, thank you so, so much. They have meant so much to us and we have loved reading your thoughts and reviews on the show. They really do make our day and are just like great motivation, honestly, because yeah, it's, they're just, it's really great knowing that people are actually listening. And a lot of the times that's what reviews feel like. It's like, oh, this is a person who's actually listening. So thank you so much. If you have left us a review, we really do appreciate you taking the time to do that. And if you're interested in other ways to support us and how to get involved in our wonderful Discord community, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our different reward tiers there. And I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons. Allison, Saber Bouquet, Kevin, Maggie, Mercedes, Jean, Matza, Anna, Jeff, Ethan, Linda, Catherine, Tadashi, Kate, John, Stephanie, Niall, Kelly, Ian, Manda, Angela, and Emily. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes, thank you guys so much. And as always, until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Mm-hmm.